You're listening to Comedy Central. January 29, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Trevor Noah, our guest tonight is the co-founder of Vox Media. He's here with a new book about why America is so divided. And personally, I can't wait to blame someone for it. Ezra Klein is joining us, everybody. Also, on tonight's episode, Jared Kushner finally turns in his homework, Tinder saves a life, and an elephant might have your hotel room key. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with some news coming out of France. For months, French workers have been taking to the streets to protest high fuel taxes and cuts in their pensions. And yesterday, things with one group of workers got a little bit out of hand. It's a shocking scene of first responders battling each other in the streets of Paris. Take a look. Tear gas fired several fights breaking out between French police and firefighters. Police were seen using batons and shields against thousands of angry demonstrators. This is part of a long-running protest movement demanding better pay and conditions. Police eventually brought in a water cannon to disperse them. No, what are you doing? (laughs) Cops fighting against firefighters in the streets? Stop it! You share a phone number, for God's sake. (laughs) Now, the reason these French firefighters are protesting is because they want better pay and working conditions, which makes sense, but also sounds a little bit funny. All right, when they say the working conditions, because it makes it sound like the firemen are like, I'm not going into that building, it's on fire. (laughs) These are horrible working conditions. (laughs) I also get why they want more money, right? You need to pay firefighters more when you live in a country where everyone is tossing lit cigarettes on the street every second. (laughs) I mean, have you guys been to France? Even the pet smoke over there, life is, how you say, raf, raf, raf. (laughs) But I will say, it's pretty messed up that the cops were using water hoses against the firefighters. (laughs) because that's their weapon, you know? (laughs) That's like Vin Diesel being fought by somebody who's running him down with a car while shouting about the importance of family. This is for family. That's his thing. (laughs) All right, moving on to some technology news. Most people know Tinder as an app you use to find all the people in your area who can go on a terrible date with you. But now, (laughs) Tinder could also be the app that helps save your life. Tinder is usually about finding a date, right? But in this case, a woman in Germany used the dating app to save her life. She and a fellow traveler were driving through Europe when the camper got stuck on the side of a mountain in Norway. They figured it could take hours for emergency crews to get to them, so her friend suggested she turn to Tinder since it's a location-based app. So they set up an account and got a match. She then told the man she was matched with about her situation and he actually came to her rescue. Afterwards, she posted the story online, calling the man a true hero. Okay, this is insane. (laughs) A stranded woman used Tinder to get rescued? That shows you two things. One, technology is amazing, and two, guys will do anything to get laid. (laughs) Are you shitting me? A guy was basically like, I'm coming to the side of that mountain to get you. She's like, how will you get here? Rescue plane? He's like, no, I'm using horniness. (laughs) 
I really do think society could do amazing things if we could harness the power of guys' horniness. <laughs> like, if you tell men that sometimes you can find a naked woman under a piece of trash, I promise you, you'll never see a piece of litter ever again. <laughs> yeah. Guys would be in the street just picking up, well, hello, ma'am. Oh, uh, hello, ma'am. And be like, oh, there's no women under here, unless there are. <laughs> Now, a lot of people would think, you know, that this would be the perfect beginning to a relationship. She was stranded, he saved her on a mountain, but I think they should just leave it there and be friends. Because where can a relationship go after this? Huh? It's already peaked. Yeah. Because <laughs> what, she's gonna be spending weekends like, wow, you used to rescue me from mountains. <laughs> now you just wanna Netflix and chill. <laughs> All right, and finally, in some travel news, if you're planning a trip to Sri Lanka, you might wanna read the hotel reviews very carefully to see if they expect you to share a room. Look at this, an unexpected guest is caught on camera at a hotel. This is in Sri Lanka. A woman spotted this wild elephant roaming the hallway. It even knocked down that light fixture with its giant trunk. Of course, the hotel happens to be near a forest, by the way, which is also a wildlife sanctuary. It is common to see the elephants on the roads, temples and other places in the area. It's a bit more of a rare event to yeah. see them just kind of roaming around at the hotel. Okay, first question. Why is the news saying this woman spotted the elephant? <laughs> you do not need a keen eye to spot a giant animal that weighs five tons. You don't even need eyes. If you were blind, you could still spot the elephant. Just point to where everyone is screaming. There's an elephant in that hotel. And fun fact, this is also one of the reasons why elephants never have affairs. Yeah, it's not that they're more loyal than other creatures. You just can't sneak around when you're an elephant, huh? <laughs> like this poor elephant probably tried to check into a hotel for a sexy rendezvous, and the next day its spouse was like, where were you yesterday? It's like, uh, you know, just roaming this event. That's not what Instagram says! <laughs> you know what would have been amazing just for once in life is if that elephant walked past two hotel staff having an argument, and the employee is like, boss, how come you never promote me? And the boss is like, oh, you really gonna ask me that, Jerry? Fine, let's talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> and the elephant is like, uh, my name is Gary. <laughs> All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. <laughs> when President Trump started running for president 400 years ago, he had a lot of goals. Build the wall, have sex with that alien they keep in Area 51. <laughs> And of course, bring peace to the Middle East. Trump himself said he considered that the ultimate deal. But the big question has been, can a businessman so brilliant that he almost turned a profit on a casino pull off <laughs> that ultimate deal? Well, yesterday, Trump finally revealed his plan and the answer seems to be uh, no. President Trump and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu appeared together in the White House to unveil a plan for Middle East peace, but it's already been rejected by the Palestinians. Make no mistake about it, this plan is everything Israel wants, especially Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Mr. Trump sold his plan as the best bet for compromise to the 70-plus year conflict. My vision presents a win-win opportunity for both sides. But the proposal crafted by President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, was considered dead on arrival since it was written without the Palestinians. Okay, hold up, hold up. Trump crafted a peace plan between Israel and the Palestinians without the Palestinians? I mean, right off the bat, that doesn't seem like a great strategy. You know, it's like writing wedding vows for yourself and your fiance. You, Janet, take me, Joe, forever and ever. My name's not Janet. Okay, I worked on these vows, would you please? Just give me a moment here. <laughs> and look, it's no secret. It's no secret that no president has figured out how to broker peace between Israel and the Palestinians. 
But Trump said that this time would be different because he said this time the plan was created by Jared Kushner, senior presidential advisor and participation trophy husband. And according to Jared, it's the greatest deal of all time. What we saw yesterday was Israel take a giant step towards peace, and it was an accomplishment that only President Trump could have delivered on. If you look at the original proposal, the Arab Peace Initiative, that was an eight-line proposal. It was a good-faith proposal. Past proposals have been two to three pages. This is an over-80-page proposal with a map, never been done before. Yeah, that's right. This plan has the one thing all previous plans lacked, lots of paper. <laughs> yeah, Krishna's like, uh, I spent two hours at Kinko, so yeah, it's a good plan. And just because you draw a picture of something you want doesn't mean you're gonna get it, right? He's like, we've got a map. It doesn't mean you're gonna get that map. I once drew a picture of myself riding a horse. Did I get a horse? No. <laughs> I got a monkey, all right? Yeah. The good news, you can actually ride a monkey. Yeah. They don't like it, but you can do it. <laughs> so, okay, maybe the plan itself got off to a rough start. But who knows? Maybe if Jared turns on that Netflix stalker charm, he can <laughs> woo the Palestinians into an agreement. The Palestinian leadership have to ask themselves a question. Do they want to have a state? Do they want to have a better life? If they do, we have created a framework for them to have it, and we're going to treat them in a very respectful manner. If they don't, then they're going to screw up another opportunity like they've screwed up every other opportunity that they've ever had in their existence. God damn! We're going to treat them with all the respect? Was that respect? That's a pretty harsh way to try and win someone over. Jared will be the worst car salesman ever. Just like, listen, loser, I want to get you in this car, which you're probably going to crash the moment you get off the lot because you mess up everything you do in life because you suck as a human being. So should I get that paperwork? It's 80 pages long. So the question is, what does this new peace deal mean for the conflict in the Middle East? Well, we turn now to a man who's no stranger to conflict, Roy Wood Jr., everybody. Thank you, Trevor. Uh, let's get down to business. Oh, okay. Here's oh, hold the... up, Roy. What on earth are you wearing? Oh, this is a traditional American garment. It's called a suit. No, no, Roy. I'm talking about the, the MAGA hats stacked on your head. Oh, man, let me explain. Trevor, if there's anything this peace plan has shown me is that if you flatter Trump, he'll give you what you want. That's why Israel got such a good deal, because nobody flatters Trump more than Israel's prime minister. He calls Trump the best president of all time. He puts pictures of the man up all over Jerusalem. And, and this is real. He named a city after Trump. Trump Heights. 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 Sounds classy, like you got coffee shops that let you bring your dog inside. Okay, but, but what does this have to do with you wearing MAGA hats? Well, Trevor, I've learned something from Israel's prime minister. If you want Trump to do something for you, you have to suck up to him, and then he'll give you whatever you want. I'm trying to get a small business loan. Here's my idea. Check this out. Small business loan. This is my idea. Half barbershop, half operating room. People are already asleep during surgery. You might as well get a fade. Roy, you are not a surgeon, and you are not a barber. Yeah, and you are a hater. All I'm saying is that even if the Palestinians don't like Trump, they need to start playing the game. If Israel puts Trump's name on a city, the Palestinians should put Trump's name on their whole country. Just title it like, like, do it like a Tyler Perry movie. Donald Trump presents the Palestine. <laughs> or, or maybe even change the flag. Just, just make your flag a picture of Donald Trump with a six pack of abs and that V thing. You know, the V, the thing. When you, yeah. when you drink a lot of smoothies, you get the V thing. Yeah. Yeah, but, but Roy, if the Palestinians start praising Trump, 
Won't Israel just praise Trump even harder? Exactly. And then the Palestinians praise Trump even harder than that. Yeah, but then Israel will just praise Trump even harder than that. And then the Palestinians will praise Trump even harder than that. Roy, all that's gonna happen is both countries will just be filled with people wearing MAGA hats praising Donald Trump 24-7. Exactly. And then everyone will be on the same page, and that's when we'll have peace in the Middle East. Uh, hang, hang on, hang on a second, I got a call. Jimmy, what's up? You still want that hip replacement and cornrows? All right, I can get you in later today. I gotta run, hater. Man, you, you're a waste of time. Roy Wood Jr., everybody, we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. Impeachment. It's like a lint brush, but for presidents. Today was day nine in the impeachment trial of President Donald Jessica Trump. So, let's check in on the latest developments in another installment of The Magical Wonderful Road to Impeachment. Today we entered a new phase of the impeachment trial. Question time. This is where senators say the same thing they've been saying for weeks, but this time in the form of a question. For this entire impeachment trial, senators have been in a listen-only mode. Well, today, they will get to weigh in through written questions. Senators have to write their questions down on these cards. Take a look at this, six lines each. Ultimately, these cards get submitted to Chief Justice John Roberts, who will read them out loud to the House managers and also to the president's defense team. This is a process that will last 16 hours over two days. Damn, 16 hours of questions. That sounds like every road trip I take with my little nephew. He's like, but why are there colors? I don't know, because someone invented them. Who invented them? I did, okay, I invented the colors. And I'll take them away if you don't shut up. But that's right, I'm a horrible babysitter. That's right, for this stage of the impeachment trial, senators get to ask questions to the lawyers. But because senators are not allowed to speak, they have to write their questions down on a card. And then there are no limitations on what these questions can be. It can be anything they want, as long as they write it down. For instance, Senator Capito asked, when did Ukraine learn that the aid was frozen? Uh, Senator Peters asked, does impeachment require a criminal violation? And Ted Cruz asked, does this look infected to you? <laughs> oh, and, and writing the questions down on a special card isn't even close to being the most elaborate part of this process. Because after the card is filled out, they have to pass it forward to the parliamentarian who then has to pass it to Chief Justice Roberts, who then has to read it out. And if you think that process sounds slow, that's because it is. The Senator from New Hampshire. Mr. Chief Justice, I send a question to the desk. Senator Shaheen asks the House managers. Ah! <laughs> no wonder this thing takes 16 hours. The senator's communicating through note passing like they're back in middle school. That's what that was. Senator McConnell has a question for Adam Schiff. Will you go to the dance with Sheila? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> the whole process makes no sense. If the senators have a question, why not just let them ask the question? Or if Chief Justice is gonna have to read it out, I mean, then he should at least have to do an impression of the senator who asked the question. Then it makes it fun. <laughs> yeah, then it would be more interesting. He was like, this next question is from Senator Sanders from Vermont. 
Why don't all shoes close with Velcro? It's faster. <laughs> all right, next question. That would be interesting. Now, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna lie. For most of the day, senators just asked questions to their own side that gave them another chance to repeat their talking points. Democrats asked, Donald Trump is guilty, isn't he? And Republicans asked, what is it that makes Donald Trump so innocent and handsome? <laughs> but there was one moment, there was one moment from the trial that caught everyone's attention. And it came from Trump's attorney, Alan Dershowitz. This afternoon, in a stunning argument, one of President Trump's top lawyers claimed any president has almost unlimited power, that his election is in the public interest, and so he said Trump cannot be impeached. Every public official that I know believes that his election is in the public interest. And if a president does something which he believes will help him get elected in the public interest, that cannot be the kind of quid pro quo that results in impeachment. Ladies and gentlemen, we have finally arrived. First it was, there was no quid pro quo. Then it was, maybe there was a quid pro quo, but it was to help the country, not Donald Trump. And now it's like, hey man, the Donald gonna do what the Donald gonna do. You little bitch asses need to shut the hell up. <laughs> so just to be clear, the Trump team's argument is now that anything Trump does to get himself reelected is fine because his reelection in his mind is good for the country and then it's not impeachable, anything. Yeah, so Trump can collude, Trump can obstruct, and it's all good. Hell, he can even lock all the Democratic candidates in a room with Eric. Yeah, just be like, <laughs> at some point, one of you will eat the other, and either way I win. <laughs> this, this whole idea, it just seems like more of like a, like a monarchy or something. It seems, oh, oh, I'm sorry, hold on. I'm getting a note. Oh, it's a question. <laughs> For Alan Dershowitz, it says, um, get the f out of here. <laughs> we'll be right back. My guest tonight is the co-founder and editor of Vox, host of the podcast, The Ezra Klein Show, and author of the new book, Why We're Polarized. Please welcome Ezra Klein. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. So this is a very simple title on the book, Why We're Polarized. Donald Trump, right? No, yes, maybe. No, Donald Trump is symptom, not cause. So Donald Trump comes as part of a long period where you lose the ability to actually have parties act in a way that holds themselves accountable. So back in the day, if you nominated somebody like Donald Trump, what okay. would happen is one of two things. One, they don't get through a party convention. Right. That's back when parties actually control who they nominate. But later on, or even both before and after that for some period, if you nominate somebody who's out of the norms, what will happen is people will switch over to the other party. Happened to Barry Goldwater, happened to George McGovern. Right. But as the parties become much more different ideologically, demographically, you get locked in place by what's called negative partisanship. So the fear of the other side winning becomes big enough that you will accept anything your side does. So a majority of Donald Trump voters say they were actually voting against Hillary Clinton. And so Donald Trump can only win in American politics in a time of super high polarization, which is why I think it's actually important to go before him to try to understand what's gonna come after him. That, it's interesting that you say that because the conversation in America for a while has been, you know, if we can just get rid of Donald Trump, you know, then we can go back to the way things were. You know, a time when Republicans and Democrats could speak to one another, a time when people could handle opposing views. 
Was there such a time and when was it? So there was, but it wasn't as good as people now like to pretend. So Joe Biden speaks about the time when he could work with segregationists. And there's actually a lot packed into that anecdote because we did have a depolarized political system for some time. What you had were basically four parties in the 20th century, the Democrats, Southern Dixiecrats, which were mm -hmm. a conservative, very racist party, liberal Republicans, and conservative Republicans. And in that world where you had conservatives in the Democratic Party, liberals, liberals in the Republican Party, conservatives, you had a lot of cross-party coalitions, people working together. But all that was built on this legacy of the Civil War where the liberal party in this country had this rump conservative wing. And that actually was built on a compromise around segregation. But the fact that it's hard to get compromise in that system, it's rational because the parties are much further apart. They disagree much more deeply. But, but is, is that something that's unique to America because of a two-party system? Was it always going to be this way? Because as you said, there was a time when it was essentially four parties. Now it's gone down to mm -hmm. two. And so one thing I've always noticed is if there are two, then you always have to choose the one, which seems like a dumb thing to say, but unfortunately it locks you into an, mm -hmm. like a fixed polarization. You can't, you can't move between ideas. Is this something that can be fixed in America or is this just where the two-party system takes the country? You could fix it in part. So here's, I think, one of the keys. I don't think polarization itself is necessarily a bad thing. And we see it in other countries, both in two-party systems and in multi-party systems. There's an argument that multi-party democracy is better. I'm more or less by that argument. But you don't have to have what we have, which is a system where when you actually win power, it does not mean you win the power to govern. The American system is internationally quite unique. We're the only system like ours that has not collapsed into total chaos. Because the way we elect people, you it can elect a, eh, fair enough. You can elect a president and then a majority leader in the Senate, say, right. of the other party. And there's no way to actually resolve that difference. So in other systems, when you get elected, even if you're polarized, you have the power to govern. So the problem really isn't that we have parties that disagree. The problem is that when parties win elections in this system, they need bipartisanship that the other party does not want to provide. I think we should have a system where public majorities, popular majorities, actually take power and then can govern. It's a note about our system. White House is run by the guy who won fewer votes. The Senate is run by the party that won fewer votes. The Supreme Court, because of that, is run by the party that won fewer votes in the relevant nominating right. elections. We are not in any way a democracy, and that means one party actually is a path to power with minority rule. It's not a great incentive structure. Here's, here's a question, though. Some may argue, you know, many conservatives might say, of course you would say that, Ezra. You lean uh, liberal, you know, as, as, as a co-founder of Vox. Of course you would want this to change because you want liberals to have more of a voice. I've seen, I've seen this, um, you know, idea share amongst many people online, on TV, yep. where people say, that's why the founders created this system, that's why it was created this way, to make sure that the liberal elites on the coast couldn't dictate how the country was run by those who grew up in the middle of America and on the farms. The founders were very concerned about California. They did not like those liberal Californian elites. <laughs> there, two things. One, the founders did not create this system or really anything like it. They wanted a system that did not have political parties. The other point you bring up, which is totally fair, and people do bring it up, is this idea that democracy the idea that we should run the country based on who represents the people, mm -hmm. has now become associated with liberalism. It wasn't always that way. It doesn't need to be that way, and it's very dangerous for it to become that way. Like, there were times in this country when the Republican Party rapidly expanded the franchise. The Civil Rights Act itself had a higher proportion of Republicans voting for it in Congress than Democrats. The idea that one party now sees its future in democracy and the other party has become committed to a version of minority rule that requires 
restricting the franchise, mm -hmm. that's very dangerous for a political system. If you actually opened it up, and by the way, I don't think we're going to, so this is somewhat pessimistic analysis, but if you actually open it up, not like Republicans couldn't compete. You have Republican governors in blue states who are very popular. The point is, if you don't open it up, they don't have to. People don't have to compete, and if they don't have to compete, then they're not serving the constituents in the areas who didn't vote for them, essentially. Exactly, or even the people who would need to vote for them. Look, it would be a better, if we had had an election in 2016, and the Republican Party had lost it in a right. election because Donald Trump got three million fewer votes than Hillary Clinton, the people who had been fighting in the Republican Party to open it up, to make it more yes, inclusive, right, to reach sense. out to people who don't already vote for it, they would have been empowered and the Trumpist wing of the party would have been discredited. Right. Instead, we got the opposite because of the weird deformations of the system. So. What you're saying is America's screwed? <laughs> what I am saying is the political system does not function under these conditions. Uh -huh. And yeah, basically, for now, America's a bit screwed. That makes a lot of sense. So you're saying America is screwed, but you're also explaining why America is screwed. Yes, and what could be done about it if people were willing to focus on it. Which won't happen because America is screwed. Thank you right. so much for being on the show. Thank you. Painful but true. Why We're Polarized is available now. A fascinating read. Ezra Klein, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.